Welcome. This is episode 10 of the Redeeming Productivity Show. And uh, in today's episode, I thought to celebrate our 10th um, episode of the podcast, it might be fun to let you in a little bit more about uh, who I am and a little bit about my past, my dark past. No, really what I want to talk about is living in an RV. So probably the one and only interesting thing about me is that I, along with my wife, Kim, uh, lived in an RV for four years. And in uh, episode four of the podcast, uh, titled Flirting with Fire, I kind of teased that I would uh, tell all about this um, in a future episode. So here we are. And I want the reason I want to talk about this is because... This living in an RV thing was kind of our accidental experiment with simple living. And I got to tell you, doing it for four years, there are a lot of lessons I learned, things about um, myself and, you know, just reflecting on the scriptures and what what need really means um, and aspects of, of what it means to be happy and all of those things. We're able to look at those from, I think, a different perspective because we were, quote unquote, living simple. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that some of this will be, at the very least, entertaining because we kind of have some ridiculous things that happen to us along the way. But I also hope that it's helpful because I think, I mean, knowing myself, uh, and I think this is probably true of other people as well, I think sometimes when we find ourselves uh, in an especially busy season of life or you know, things aren't going the way you want in your life, whether it be work or family or things, you start to, you know, get discontent and you imagine and long for the simple life, right? But I, I think as I found and I think as anyone else will find and I think also as the scriptures kind of tell us in advance, the trouble is that when we idealize simplicity, we kind of idolize it without realizing that we're doing that. So, what I've learned is that sometimes the simple life can actually be far more complex than we actually imagine. So let me begin with kind of explaining how we ended up in the predicament where we lived in an RV for four years, because I don't think in any format I've actually explained the whole story behind this. So how did we end up in an RV living in Southern California? There's probably a lot of people you could ask that story to these days. If you look anywhere on the side of the road, uh, anywhere around L.A., you're going to find um, people living in RVs. But um, we didn't end the, end up there because of uh, like a drug problem or something, thankfully. No, so, so basically, you know, a few years back... Um, that whole thing, people would talked about being minimalists, you know, and, and downsizing and living simple. And that was kind of like the topic uh, of the day. And I remember hearing about this and, you know, there was like tiny house shows. And they, may, they may still have tiny house shows. But people who were, you know, leaving the city and going living on a farm and just, you know, downsizing, getting rid of all their stuff, cleaning things out. In a lot of ways, I think this is still popular. You know, it was probably just last year. Um, uh, what was her name? Marie Kondo, the lady who has you talk to your stuff before you throw it away. Um, you know, people, I think a lot feel that tension of being owned by your possessions and, and you kind of want to search out that simple life. Um, a whole less is more type thing. 
So, you know, I'd heard about this. I wasn't particularly, I mean, interested in it beyond just, huh, that's, that's kind of a fun thing. But at the time, I had no idea that we would kind of end up doing it ourselves in a weird way. So basically what happened was um, my wife and I moved to uh, the Los Angeles area in 2014 to attend seminary, the Master Seminary. And we moved out here, we did what you know normal human beings do, and we got an apartment. And uh, it was fine. We we enjoyed it, um, but it was really expensive, as everything is, and it's only gotten more expensive in Southern California um, in the last five years. Um, and so we lived there for about a year, and basically one day at church, um, some people there had asked us, hey, would you guys want to come over for lunch sometime? And we said, we'd love to come over for lunch. And they said, now here's the thing. We live in an RV in an RV park. Is that going to be a problem? We said, no, that sounds interesting. And so we went over there one Sunday after church and we had lunch with these folks. And it was pretty cool, actually. They had this big, like, 40-foot fifth wheel trailer. That's the kind you tow behind a truck. And they were living there with, I think they had four kids living with them. And I know what you're picturing, but don't picture that. It was actually very, very, very nice. Everybody had their own space. Uh, They had a a yard. They had room uh, to roam. And it was in a really nice uh, RV park where they had all kinds of amenities and stuff. And they were living there month to month, right? So they had no long-term contract. They were paying, I can't remember, like a third of what we were paying in rent. And they loved it. And they said they were having a great time. So we went there, we ate lunch, enjoyed it, went home, thought nothing of it for several months. And then it kind of just, I think, was in the back of mine and Kim's minds was just kind of sitting there rumbling around the whole idea of living in an RV. You know, I'm sure some of you have had this experience. If If you're renting, there's just this awful feeling every time you go to write the rent check where you kind of know that that money's just you're just giving it away. You know, it's a little different when you have a mortgage or something that you're paying into. You're kind of like, yeah, you know, it's a bill, but you know, it's going into my home and and I'm going to, you know, see some of that uh, someday again. But when it's rent, it's just gone. And you're paying that much for rent. It's just kind of like starts to wear on you. And so we, Kim and I, you know, before we lived in this apartment, we'd only ever lived one other place. We lived in an apartment in um, Southeast Michigan before we'd moved here for seminary. And um, one day I remember this distinctly because it's, <laughs> it was an interesting a moment in our marriage. I'm sitting on the couch in our apartment watching TV or doing something on the phone. I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but I had my head sitting on the armrest and I was just laying on the couch. And then I saw in my peripheral vision, my wife was standing behind the couch and she like, you know, she walks back and forth because we had like a space behind the couch um, between the kitchen and then the upstairs. And she was just stopped and was standing there. And I saw her stretch her arms out super wide. And so I, I looked over at her. I said, what are you doing? And she said, these hallways, what is the point of all these hallways? And now, there weren't that many hallways, so let me just tell you this first. <laughs> it was a one-bedroom apartment with like a, I don't know what you call it, it had a loft, you know, where you, it was a, the bedroom was a, a set of stairs. And 
I said, what? What are you talking about the hallway? She says, there's so much empty space in this apartment. Again, there wasn't that much empty space in the apartment. It was not a big apartment. So I still was like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, And she said, I've been thinking about the RV thing. I said, you've been thinking about what RV thing? She said, I've been thinking about our friends who had us over and we saw their RV. I think we could do that. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just pause for the award ceremony for my wife, who is obviously the coolest wife in the history of the world. Yeah, no, it, yeah, super cool. I mean, how many, how many women would want to um, do that and volunteer that? Now she might tell the story differently. Uh, we've, we've, I think that I've, I've convinced her that it was her idea by now. But she originally was telling me that I'm the one who kept bringing it up. I, I disagree. It was totally her idea. So let's just assume that and we'll move on. So we started thinking about it, right? We're like, okay, I think we could do the RV thing. And I said, yeah, I think we could too. And we started doing some math. So I got out handy dandy Microsoft Excel and I started just making some uh, budgets with some different variables in them, right? So I made my, my budget for what our current um, expenses were and with an emphasis especially on, um, on our rent, right? And then I started looking at different options for RVs. So what if we got a trailer? What if we got one this size? What if we got new, if we bought it used, what are people selling these for? What if we got a motorhome, you know, where you could drive it? And what year would we get? And what's the depreciation rate on these? All that kind of stuff. What what are, if we had to get one with a, a loan, like what uh, what would the rates be on that? And, and how long would that take to pay off? And, and I kind of did this all knowing, okay, I, I'm planning to finish my, my Master of Divinity degree in three years, right? And so we're going to be a year into it. So I'm thinking... In two years, are we going to lose money or save a substantial amount of money by buying an RV? Well, it turned out that we would save a very, very substantial amount of money buying an RV and living in an RV park rather than renting an apartment. And at the end of it, we could sell the RV. And so we said, all right, let's do it. And so several months of research, spreadsheets, all kinds of stuff, looking at a lot of different RVs and stuff, finding a, a place where we could rent that we really liked, and we did it. We took the plunge. We bought an old uh, Winnebago chalet. Yes, yes, <laughs> a vehicle whose interior did not reflect the uh, prestige that its name commanded, the Winnebago chalet. The thing was a mess. Um, it was a 2001 or 2002 and, uh, it, 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 the wear had shown. And so we got a decent deal on it and we were able to buy it and we completely remodeled the interior of it. I'll link to the, the blog post that I originally did about this and it has some before and after pictures. Um, if you're curious about what we did to it and what was so cool about all of it is that, and this I think was probably the the swing vote for us in all of our discussions about should we do it, shouldn't we do it, how much are we going to save? We were thinking, man, we're living on the West Coast. We don't know how long we're going to be here, but there's so many cool places, you know, national parks, we've got the coast, all that stuff. And so we're thinking, if we live in an RV, not only do we get to save money, we have an instant vacation whenever we want. 
And man, we did it a ton. We went to Yosemite, Zion multiple times, Grand Canyon, the Oregon coast. Um, went to the, the beach quite frequently. There's some places you can park along there, camp near the, the beach, just um, close to home here. Um, we're still in LA, by the way. Um, and it was just insane. It was so much fun. We we absolutely loved it for probably the first uh, year or two. I would say we absolutely loved it. <laughs> but as you'll see in a moment, I'm going to tell you about some of the drawbacks of all of this. And, uh, and there were some lessons learned for sure. But I'll just say this before I share some of those things. I would do it again. And that's that's a question. We don't have the RV anymore. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in the story in a moment. But I would just say this right now. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I think it was one of the best decisions we've ever made. And I would do it again. And, and people who ask me, because there's other folks who, who've asked me, and they think about it like, would you do it? Would you do it? Yeah, I would. I would. I, I, would, I would live in an RV again um, because it was just so much fun. And it worked for that time of life. Now it's a little harder, so I don't want to do it again. But anyway, same conditions, I'd do it again. <laughs> but one thing that obviously you're thinking about, okay, if someone was going to move from an apartment into an RV, RVs are small. Yeah, they are. They're really small. You know, let me just echo that back to you. They're much smaller than you think. And... I think that, you know, as we put together our heads and I was like, oh, you know, I want to save money. Kim dreams of a world without hallways. Let's do this RV thing and we'll, you know, we'll become like the minimalists we see on TV. But man, there's a lot of unexpected things. There are a lot of unexpected things and a lot of lessons to be learned. And I think a lot of it has to do with with the subject of contentment, right? And even learning a lot about my own sinful heart facing disappointments, um, a lot of stuff like that. I think the first big thing, so let me jump into some of the lessons we learned and I'll tell you some stories as we go through these. One of the things that I first learned from moving into the RV in that whole process was that need is a very strong word. Yes, need, you know, and, and we all know it. We all say it. Well, there's a difference between want and need. You know, you say it to, to kids. They're like, oh, I need this toy. It's like, do you need the toy or do you just want the toy? Yeah, until it's you who needs the, the, the toy. <laughs> and so, especially with, with moving out of a bigger space and downsizing into an RV, it's like we were downsizing the word need over and over and over again. And it just kept having to get smaller. Because, right, so what do you do when you're downsizing? What would Marie Kondo tell you to do? She would tell you to say hello to your items and, and pray to some weird thing. And yeah, I don't know why I'm talking about Marie Kondo. But you separate it into piles, right? If you're thinking, I need to get rid of stuff, then you have your keep pile, and then you have your maybe pile, and then you have your definitely throw it out pile, right? And if you've ever had to do something like this or you've ever moved and had to do it, like, you know, the first run on it is usually not going to be good enough. Your need pile is usually too big. I'm sorry, your keep pile is usually too big. And we just over and over again had to keep revisiting it in the living room of our apartment, make it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And 
What's interesting is at first, like the whole thing felt like this massive sacrifice, you know, we're like, how are we going to get rid of all this stuff and still live? You know, like we have all these things that we own and, and mind you, we didn't own that much. We lived in a one bedroom apartment, but even still, we were like, but we've had all this, like we must need it. Otherwise we wouldn't have it. Right. But I'll tell you, we sold or gave away probably 90% of our possessions when we moved to the RV. And what was so crazy to me was after that, like the initial shock of like, you know, it was more like fear, like, well, what if we ever need this, you know, specialized pan that we used one time and we got for our wedding. After the initial shock of it, we just kept being surprised that even the things that we did bring with us, the, we still, we still just found ourselves rarely using them. There's just so much stuff you just don't use at all. And, um, even, and then the flip side of that was with all the stuff that we got rid of our feet, like we didn't feel like we lacked any necessities. Do you know what I mean? And so, so if you've ever been in an RV or, or seen one on TV, you know that like they're made to be like super convenient. They're kind of ridiculous. Honestly, I have a lot of thoughts on RVs that I'll try not to keep bringing out. But you know, when you live in, we lived in two different ones over the years, by the way. Um, but when you live in one for a long time, you get opinions about them. And one is just like, they like deck these things out with way more like stuff than like a hundred years ago, even like 50 years ago, people would just be like, you have Wait, in your vehicle, you have what? You have a television, you have a DVD player, you have air conditioner, you have shower and a toilet, you have a huge refrigerator, you have a stove, like you have a microwave. Like it's just, you have all of the amenities of home is what I'm trying to say. It's not like moving into like the Serengeti and living in a mud hut or something. Are there mud huts in the Serengeti? I don't even know where the Serengeti is. I hear people say that, but I need to pull out a map. <laughs> Note to self, look up Serengeti. But we had all this like extra stuff that we didn't use, right, in the RV. And then there's stuff we brought with us. Like, like let me tell you some of the things. If you thought, if we think, <clears throat> if you think that we were living like, you know, like really in squalor or something, we had a KitchenAid stand mixer. There was a bread maker that we brought in the RV with us. Like, there was more stuff than then we should have definitely should have brought with us. But what I mean is we weren't living like in squalor. And so in hindsight, it was kind of like, we're like, but all this stuff that we need. And then we got there and we're like, we have more than we could ever need. And so like I said, our, the word need downsized with us. And, and I think this was a positive thing, honestly. I, I think this is one of the things that I'm very thankful for in the whole experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah, obviously there's conveniences that we missed while living in an RV, particularly hallways. I really loved the hallways that were in our apartment. Uh, and yeah, the biggest thing, honestly, was washer dryer. My wife nearly um, ended up a hunchback from all of the crazy stuff she had to do to wash and dry our laundry. Um, I missed having a desk. Yeah, that's kind of helpful when you're a full-time student. Um, counter space, yeah, that was at a premium. But the thing is that even though we kind of dwelt in a bread box, um, we were living in comfort and convenience and we had far more than we really needed. And I'll tell you what kept coming to my mind over and over again was this verse um, from 1 Timothy 6, 8, where it says, but if we have food and clothing, 
with these, we'll be content. Of course, many other verses about contentment and about, you know, what, what it means to, to live as a Christian in this world. And I just kept thinking, people all over the world make do in such less worse living conditions. You know what I mean? And they're, they're, and they, and they thrive in with much less than we had even in an RV. Um, and so, so these things that I'm like demanding as necessities, like, are those really just expressions of my discontentment? In other words, what, what do I really need? Right? Like when, when you start to like get rid of the things that you assume that you need, then you start to wonder, wait, what, what do I really need? Are there other things that I'm making assumptions about that I, that are, oh, non-negotiable. I need that. I think that they think that I kept learning that. And you know, I'll tell you this too. We, um, this is the other part of the story I didn't cover in the original blog post. I don't think I've talked about before. So, um, we lived in a, a decent sized RV. It was a class C. So that's the kind that has like a van front to it. And there's like a bunk that hangs over the front of it. You've probably seen them on the road. Um, and that was the one that we got when we first moved in. And we lived in that for like two years, maybe a little more than two years. And we lived in a campground in kind of the middle of nowhere, which honestly was one of the best parts of the whole thing is we just had amazing neighbors. There was, oh man, I could tell you so many stories about stuff that happened in the RV park that would just, you'd be like, wow, that is very interesting. Yeah. And it was, and it was a lot of fun. And we are still friends with so many people there. We still go back and visit and it was awesome, awesome time life. That's not my point. My point is this, two and some change years into doing this, you're not going to believe with this, but we said, you know what? I think we should get a smaller RV. I know there's something, there's something definitely wrong with us and we know it. Um, but we have each other, Kim and I do, and we both have the same problem. So it's okay. So we, we bought a van. Okay, a small van. Now, this was no ordinary van. This was one that had been built as an RV. It also had a shower and a toilet and a bed and all the things, um, a stovetop, a microwave, all of that stuff. But it was much, much fewer hallways, thus fulfilling Kim's dream of a world without hallways. This was very small. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I struggled with this one. It was way nicer um, than the, the big one, but... This this was fun for sure because we took way more trips because, you know, driving a 31-foot vehicle, you kind of white-knuckle it a bit, you know? You know, you're driving, driving down the road and you're just shaking because you're like this thing. I'm literally driving a blind spot. The whole vehicle is a blind spot. In fact, one time in the big one, we went up, um, we were in Oregon, and we went up to the top of Crater Lake, which you've ever been there. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Um, unless you're driving a 31-foot RV in the dead of winter. So up to Crater Lake, right? So there's this huge, like, winding road with all these switchbacks to get up there. And we go in the dead of winter when the road is covered with snow. And in front of us, we're, we're making the ascent up there. And in front of us, I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. There are F-350s, these big, huge other vehicles, and they're losing traction and spinning out. And they're turning around and saying, ah, no, we're not going to go up to Crater Lake today. And me and my genius and wisdom said, I think we got this, Kim. 
<laughs> and so we did. We climbed all the way to the top of it in this huge RV where, with with Kim, with the dog, with all of our, our earthly belongings with us on this icy road like just idiots. We could have died for sure. And we get to the top and everybody up there is double parked. It didn't occur to me that there wouldn't be parking up there for an RV. But in hindsight, yep, probably should have thought this through. I get up there and our vehicle is very wide, right? And so we're like, well, I don't know what to do because there's no place to turn around. Once you get to the top, since everyone's double parked, there's really just one road in or one lane in, I should say, and one lane out. And on either side, there's cars just parked as close as they possibly can to the road. And so I had to fold the mirrors in and just inch forward through this. And, and I just remember looking at this guy who's standing next to, he had this really cool looking um, pickup truck, looked like it was like almost brand new. And I just saw him, he had the saddest look on his face. Like he's like, this guy, there's no way he's not going to scratch my truck when he drives by in his big stupid RV. <laughs> uh, I felt so bad, but I didn't. We didn't scratch any cars, we didn't drive drive our RV off into Greater Lake, and we made it to the end. And I've got pictures on that blog post I'll link to, too, of us playing in the snow and looking at the lake, but it, that was the worst. <laughs> oh, that guy's face. Okay, so so the big one was white-knuckled. Where did I, how did I get on this? Yeah, so we bought the smaller one. That was way more fun. We took more trips with it because, um, you know, I... Uh, didn't get a stress headache every time we had to like take it for gas and you know it was really fun you could overnight anywhere and that's what we did for eight nine months um we had this van and we didn't live at the campground we literally didn't live anywhere we lived on the streets like <sighs> the homeless and um it was just me kim the dog and we'd park on random sides of the road we'd overnight at walmart's we we had um gym memberships to LA Fitness and there was like a bunch of them in the area um, that were near Walmarts which guys you should have thought this through because we did we would get the gym membership we'd go work out in the morning we'd shower at the LA Fitness or we'd shower in the van depending on our schedule and because it didn't hold much water right you had to refill the water and dump it once a week so we had this whole thing worked out where we would shower three times a week in an LA Fitness so that we could preserve our water yeah, crazy. And uh, then we'd shower at the LA Fitness, and then we'd go down to work uh, every single day. And Kim and I worked at the same place. We both worked at the seminary, actually, which they'd probably be really thankful uh, for me to be telling them that two of their employees uh, were living homeless on the streets in an RV. But look, it, was, it wasn't like we were doing it because we were strapped for cash. We were doing it because... I don't know. Honestly, at that point, I don't know what we were doing. Now, here's what we were doing. We, My thought was, I was finishing my last year of seminary, and we were thinking, hey, once we're done here, let's do a, we'll do a loop around the U.S. of A., and then we'll land, we'll, and I'll be searching for places to pastor, right? And then we'll land where we land, and that will be it. And so it'll be a fun thing to do, and we'll have kids, and life will be rosy, peachy, and uh, we won't be in California anymore. That didn't work out. Um, so we ended up selling the uh, selling the van after nine months, and uh, we had the other one, the big one still, because we had been working on selling it and never got around to it. So we still had it, and still we owned it outright. So we just moved back into that. There was still a spot at our old campground, and we lived there for another mm, almost year and a half in that big one. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, part of the, going back to the stuff about need, man, like going from apartment down to 31 foot RV down to 20 foot van, it just, you, we kept recalibrating. We kept recalibrating being like, man, like this is the, the okay, we could do with less. We could do with less. We could do with less. And I'll tell you what, like the, the lesson from that, I think this is one of the positive takeaways is my definition of need still needs so much work because even when we were living really, really small, I just kept thinking about the stuff that I, I wouldn't be willing to give up. But the fact is, as a Christian, as a servant, as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's so little that I need. There is so little that I need. And that really is the secret to contentment, to recognize that you don't need anything apart from Christ. And, and he will, as he clothes the lilies, um, as he as he feeds the sparrows, he will take care of you too. And we don't need to fret about so many earthly things that we just demand, you know, and I mentioned the word idolatry earlier, and I think that that's part of it. We demand that we have these certain things and, and that without it, I can't, I just can't live. And I, I thought about that frequently during our time in the, um, the sojourn in the RVs, because you don't need much. We don't. We really don't. A reminder to this verse, in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, and he being Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Think about what he's saying there. It's saying keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. So so don't be covetous. Don't be looking for... for um, money or, or things or demanding th- these things that are wants that they be needs right but instead what's the opposite of that be content with what you have say okay there's lords the lord give me this is what i'll be pleased with and then he appends a reason to it he says so why 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 should i think this way why should i be content with what i have and not be seeking after all of these things and calling them needs for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you Do you catch that? Do you catch what the implied reason is? The reason you should be content with what you have and keep yourself free from the love of money is because our master has told us, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. What he's saying is, the author to Hebrews, having Christ is enough. We need to redefine our definition of need. Whether you have a beautiful home you live in an RV, or you're just trying to get by day to day, if you have Christ, you have everything. And I know, and I know, it's hard to remember that sometimes, because even as we lived in the RV, even as we lived simply, my covetous, nasty, sinful heart again and again and again would try to flip the categories of nice to have with need to have. So the first thing living full-time in an RV showed me was that need is a strong word. That's what we've just covered. And I think the second thing that I learned from it is that having less doesn't always mean wanting less, right? So even as we've talked about that need um, has to be redefined and, and, and all of that, just because you downsize, and this is, okay, 
let me put it like this. I think a lot of people that I would talk to and they'd be like, oh, you live in an RV? <laughs> Half the people would say, oh, okay. And then just try to find a way to get away from me because they assumed that they're, you know, we either were in desperate straits or probably cooking meth. And the other half of the people would say, that is so cool. I watch the tiny home shows on TV, like all the time people bring the tiny home shows, which was cool. So those pe- the second people I liked because they thought we were cool. Um, but I think a lot of those people, they say, you know, I've dreamed of doing that. I want to do something like that. And maybe you guys, some of you have thought about that. Yeah, I, I would, I think it'd be great to live simpler, downsize and do all that. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good things about it. Like I said, I, I loved it. I think it was a good thing. I think I've learned a lot of good things about it. But one thing I learned is that you cannot solve a problem of the heart with externals. Covetousness cannot be cured by minimalism. You can't just get rid of things and expect that your desire for more and bigger and extra and larger is going to be diminished because the problem isn't the stuff you own. The problem is the heart you have is tainted with sin. And that I think was one of the biggest lessons of all. I think that this, the love of money is, is obviously, especially in America, a huge and common temptation. You've got, you turn on the TV and all these commercials, their whole job is to stir up covetousness. You ever thought about that? Every commercial, every ad you see is, is literally trying to tempt you. And I don't just mean tempt you to buy your thing. I mean, tempt you to sin because their whole job is to make you covet what they have for them to show you the need, right? That's their first thing. I'm going to show you that you need this thing. And then I'm going to provide a solution and say, just come buy this service or product or whatever it is. And then on top of that, we have all these commercials stirring up our covetous hearts. And then we have social media telling us how much better everyone else's lives are. And, and if if only we had what they had, we would be happy. And then you have your neighbors and you look around and you're like, man, they have such cool stuff. I wish I had cool stuff. And over and over again, the whole world is screaming at you. You don't have enough. You need to have more, just more, 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 more. And it's funny, actually. Even living in the RV, right, when we in the RV park, I remember we, we backed up to this, uh, we call it a wash. It's kind of like a dried up riverbed type thing. The Santa Clara River is what it was. There's never any water there. But it's all open land. And so everybody had these awesome like dirt bikes and like side-by-side things and four-wheelers. And I remember all the time being like, Kim, I think we really need one to get one of those because I want to go tear it up out in the field um, with Neil and, uh, she, she'd be like, you don't need that. You don't need that. Just borrow someone's and we go back and forth. But it's just funny that even like that we were living in like the high desert in an RV, I was like jealous of my neighbor's toys when it's like a 1991 Honda dirt bike. But that's just how we are, isn't it? And so I think that sometimes when people approach the whole minimalism type thing, uh, I think that they think to themselves, if I could just get rid of some of my stuff, then I wouldn't want as much. But look, intentional deprivation is not a cure for a covetous heart. It's not. Um, when, when I lived in an apartment, I would look online at listings for bigger apartments. When I lived in an RV, I looked online for nicer RVs. And now that I live in a house, yes, I made it. Let me spoil spoil the end of the story. We don't have the RV anymore. 
Um, but now that I live in a house, you know, frequently I'll find myself browsing the Zillow. I'm like, man, if only we had another bedroom or if it was bigger, if we had more land, right? It's, and I have no reason to believe, I really don't, that if I lived in some super mega mansion, that I wouldn't be online looking at bigger mega mansions. Changing your living situation doesn't somehow abolish the greed in your heart. Okay? That was a massive lesson for me. So I don't want to discourage people from doing the simple living thing, the downsizing thing, but I do want to cast it in some realistic light. It does, it's not going to fix you. The problem's internal. It's not external. Yes, if you have too much stuff, yes, if, if you find that you know, you're a slave to your, your possessions and stuff, hey, look, downsize. I think it will help in some areas, but it's not going to solve the root problem. That's all I'm saying. And this really shouldn't be surprising for Christians, I don't think. Um, asceticism is not the means to shrinking covetousness. Paul says it in, in Colossians. He says that self-made religion and asceticism, asceticism being self-denial, um, self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's Colossians 2, 23. And what he's saying is legalistic, you know, self-flagellation, it may have the appearance of religion, severity of the body, beating yourself up, um, going days and days without food or water for the purpose, you know, like the Stoics or something, for the purpose of trying to like make yourself more uh, self-controlled and more um, holy and righteous. And, and so you can, you'll deny the indulgence of the flesh more. But the fact is it is only the enchantment of a greater affection, a greater love that makes a person really deny themselves at the heart level. That's the only thing that's going to make you take up your cross and follow Jesus, turn aside from your sin, turn aside from any idolatry you have towards the things you own or, or covetousness you have for the things you wish you had. The only thing that's going to drive that out is by reflecting on and appreciating on and cultivating in yourself a greater affection for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate prize, who is the megaist of mega mansions. So much better than uh, than a large house or lots of stuff or a Land Rover. But Jesus is so much more. And the way to contentment is to fill your heart with a greater affection. You know, Thomas, Thomas Chalmers, the Puritan, is a great little essay. It's called The Expulsive Power of a Great Affection. And it talks about that, that, that sin is pushed out, not by us forcing it out by force of will, our desires to sin, but by replacing those affections for sinful things with the fount of all blessing himself, Jesus Christ. So our hearts, yeah, they're going to continue to hunt out idols for their temporary joys, um, but we're only going to be disappointed and return to the hunt once again to try to find more. Jesus Christ is the one who satisfies. Not a deeper bank account, not a nicer yard, not a bigger car, not a, not a simpler life even. It's just him. It's just him. So we've talked about that full-time living in an RV showed me that needs a strong word. And we've just talked about that, that I learned also that having less doesn't always mean wanting less. Um, and finally, the, the other last big lesson I learned about simple living um, from simple living is this, the severity of it, the severity of simplicity, we might say. 
there are good things to it. Like I said, I would live again in an RV. I loved it. In that stage of life, when it was just me and Kim and our dog, Harvey. And I say that because now we have a child, we have a little baby boy, and we lived in the RV with a baby for a very, very brief time. So here's what happened. We right. So this is the end of our RV living experience. We were in uh, almost in year five of doing it. We'd been doing it for four years, and we were getting a little tired of it. I'll tell you what. But my wife was pregnant. She had a baby, and we brought it home to the RV. We, of course, had planned, you know, we really had all the best plans about how this was going to work, having a baby, a tiny, screaming infant in this little, little RV. And we had our dog, Harvey, right? So we'd been in the hospital and we were there for two or three days because um, we had to stay for some extra tests and stuff at the end. So when we finally came home, our dog had not seen us for three days. And Harvey, oh, what an affectionate little pup he is. He was thrilled that we were home, but Harvey was much more thrilled that we had brought a tiny, wiggling, good-smelling little baby that made squeaking sounds. And I could not keep this dog away from the baby. So we got home, maybe it was like 10 o'clock at night. It was horrible. We were so tired because, you know, if you had a baby, they are bad for sleep. And we'd been at the hospital all these days and we're just so happy to be home in our little RV at our RV park. And we go in and the dog's there as our neighbor had been watching him and he just has a meltdown. The dog will not, he, he, he literally, it was like he would die trying to see the baby and I'm keeping away cause I don't know what he's going to do. He's a dog. He's an animal. Anyway. So I don't know. He's going to bite it. He just want to smell it. I don't want him to lick a newborn baby's face because dogs, well, and I don't want him to lick the baby. And so I'm trying to keep them apart. And my wife's dead tired because, you know, apparently it's harder on the woman than the man to have a baby. Allegedly. We don't know. And so I'm just trying to make this thing work. And so for four hours, the first night we're home from the hospital with the baby, the dog is howling at the baby and the baby is crying. And I I'm just running interference, holding the dog with all my might by his collar to get him to not touch the baby. Don't bring a newborn baby home to an RV. That should be point number three that I learned. (laughs) That was awful. But anyway, it all worked out. And actually, it was kind of cute. In the end, um, the dog finally chilled out for a minute. And he just smelled the baby and was happy, which is what I should have let him do to begin with, honestly. And he, the baby was in a bassinet um, next to our bed and the dog hung his head off the side of the bed and rested his chin on the edge of the bassinet and just stared at the baby. It was the sweetest thing ever. <clears throat> and so it worked out, but I don't know. We, in the middle of all this, here's a funny thing too. So we had decided at this point, um, cause we had the baby and I had, um, taken a, a new position at, um, Grace to you where I work now, the, uh, uh, media ministry of Pastor John MacArthur, please, gty.org, go there, listen. And I had taken this position and we said, okay, I guess we're in California now. Let's not be in an RV. So we decided this, obviously, before the baby was actually born. And funny thing is one of the best pictures I think I've ever taken is I have a photo of us signing the papers um, for our house 
the day after our baby was born in the hospital, the notary came up there and met us and we did all the signing and the stuff in the hospital with this newborn baby right there. Um, so we had the house and we closed on it and, and this is, you know, we're back home in the RV now. And so I, I honestly, so much of it's a blur. I think it was maybe a week, maybe less than a week that we were in the RV with the baby and it wasn't working. And so finally we didn't have any furniture. Um, but we had the house, we had the keys to it. We had possession of it. And I said, Kim, let's just get an air mattress and go there. We cannot do this anymore. And so we did it and it, it, it was great. And we moved in and it was wonderful. And in fact, funny thing with it is, uh, we, um, didn't have any furniture money cause we spent all our money on the down payment, um, which by the way, was one of the big things that was great about living in an RV is we were able to save up enough money to, um, have a down payment for a house in Southern California, which ain't, um, cheap, but we wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. And so we move in and we finally, after a while, we end up selling the RV, which was our whole plan. And then we get furniture for the house. And so now we are like normal standard Americans do not look at us askance anymore. We have a home and we do not live in a vehicle with shocks or, um, (laughs) with wheels on it. So we're at the end of the RV thing and Lord willing, I will never (laughs) ever be in an RV again. Look, simple living is great in some ways, but in other ways, it's we're too idealistic about it from afar. Moving into an RV, especially with a baby, man, it's not that easy. You know, we thought, okay, so once we were all in and decided we were going to move into the RV, I had this image in my head still that there would be, once we got all settled in, that there'd be this zen-like moment, right? You know, like this this feeling of, ah, oh, now I'm no longer owned by my possessions. I'm so free to let my thoughts roam and really just focus on my art now. But that didn't happen. It, getting rid of a bunch of stuff didn't like result in a really just like simple, free, bohemian life. No, it didn't at all. You know, I, I think that I think that people who are like aspiring minimalists, you know, they, they think of that feeling they get when they look at like a photo of a, of a clean desk or a picture with a lot of white space in it. And they're like, yeah, that's really good. That's what we want. Peace. We want peace, minimalism, clean surfaces. You know, that's what we want. Peace. We don't want a lot of stuff in our lives. But then I finally remembered, you know, as I'm looking for the Zen moment, I finally remembered I'm a Christian. I'm not a Buddhist. (laughs) And the problem isn't stuff. The problem, again, it's that I am a sinner. It's not stuff, it's the sinner. And unfortunately, even no matter what size space you live in, your sinful heart sticks with you no matter where you are. And so whether you're in a great big old house or you're in a tiny little RV or you're in a cardboard box or wherever you are, the sinner comes with you because the sinner's you. And so I think that you know, people romanticize the simple life. You see the person, you know, on Instagram and, and you're saying, oh, wow, that's so cool. It looks so peaceful. Um, they're just living on a farm, you know, and it's just this, this simple life, milking cows all day and growing wheat thins. Growing wheat thins. You grow wheat. I don't know where wheat thins come from, but they're delicious. Um, but look, here, here's a dare for you. This will be fun. Go find a farmer and ask him about the simple farming life. You're likely likely to get a a pitchfork to the stomach. Look, look, the stuff that looks really simple and and great, they're just photographs. They're just ideas. 
problems are wherever you are in life. They're going to go everywhere. Just because you downsize doesn't mean that simplicity is going to mean serenity. Again, don't get me wrong. I think, honestly, I still think this. I still try to keep less clutter. We, we The place we moved into is not, we don't live in a big house. It's a, it's a two-bedroom home, and I try to keep it very clutter-free. I'm always getting rid of stuff because, you know, some of that I've um, imbibed from living in an RV that we want to keep light. So I, I, I'm not saying, I'm not pro-clutter. I'm not pro-have a bunch of stuff. But I am saying that the simple life isn't going to be the solution to all your problems. It's, it comes with its own problems. That's what I mean when I say the severity of simplicity. And we learn that the hard way. Because first of all, in our RVs, my goodness, they are terrible. I just mean in terms of quality. I, I don't know how they can sell these things for as much as they sell them for. Because no matter who you talk to that owns an RV, something is always broken on it. It's always, uh, there, there's some problem, there's something you have to replace, you have to have it in it for repairs. I mean, go drive by a camping world store any given point and go to the repair bay and look at just the, all the RVs lined around there. You know what those are all waiting for? Those RVs that people aren't taking on a vacation right now because they're waiting on some stupid thing to get fixed because they're terrible. Anyway, that's my rant against the RV industry. Do better. Winnebago. Actually, Winnebago's are pretty good. And and there's really actually potential for some really nasty fix-it jobs when you're out on the road because you are carrying around a literal porta potty in the RV with you. So you've got plumbing, you've got electrical, you've got all this stuff, and it's in this giant rolling earthquake of a house. Imagine if your house was just under an earthquake all the time. That's what it is to live in an RV because you drive it everywhere. So everything's shaking loose, everything's breaking. It's awful. Um, so something always breaks. And in fact, the first time that I, um, we went to, we got the RV and we moved it into the RV park and we were living in it and stuff and we'd planned our first trip. And then we were like, this is gonna be so much fun. And so I went to turn the RV on to, to take this trip the day of, I go to turn it on and it won't turn over, it won't turn over. And I thought, oh my goodness, I bought a lemon. This RV doesn't work. Now, obviously I'd driven it before. I drove it from the place we bought it from and had parked it there and we'd done all this stuff. But the day we went to leave, it won't turn on. Turns out uh, the fuel pump in it had died, and so we had to have it towed. And all paid all this money to get this. You know, it's got a 55-gallon fuel tank, so and it was full, so they had to drop it, which um, they charged us a lot to do because I couldn't do that at home. Plus, I don't know how to do anything, and it was expensive and annoying. And this is when I realized very early in our RVing life that these things are just prone to problems. And I remember, um, I had it in the place for, um, you know, that does motorhome repairs. And I remember the mechanic or oh, I'm sitting there waiting to pay this ridiculous bill. And he's just smiling, looking at me. And I look up at him cause I'm not happy. And, and he, he says, Hey, do you know what RV stands for? Right. And I said, no, what does RV stand for? Because it was obviously, a, it was a setup for a joke. And I just walked into it like an idiot. And he said, ruined vacation. Ha 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 ha. Hilarious. Thank you. Yeah, that's felt great as I'm writing him a, a, a check for $1,000. Ruined vacation. <laughs> but that's it. I mean, and, and that's that's life, isn't it? And on all of life, no matter what your living conditions are, stuff breaks down. That is how the entropy crumbles. You know, it's a fallen world. Genesis 3, things are are going from 
order to disorder in 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 life you know our bodies wind down our things break apart and that is just how it is and the reality is is that severity that you know second law of thermodynamics applies whether you live with a, a bunch of stuff or in this simple life you can't romanticize it grass that grass is always greener mentality is really the problem you think that the person with a bunch of stuff says oh, if i just had less it, it's such a man it is such a first world problem to look at all your stuff that you have and say i've got too much stuff this is such a major problem for me if only i had less if only i could live like the homeless then i would finally be happy they really know what's up the homeless are living the good life and we're here with our homes and our items and our vehicles and our steady incomes and we're the idiots we're the suckers and so we look at it and it's just like so silly because you like you say it like that with that awesome fake accent and you're like man of course of course that sounds dumb but that's how we think when we when we have less we want more when we have more we want less man the human heart is so deceitful but the simplistic sim- or simple living really is it's not all it's cracked up to be okay let me warn you. you you look let's go back to instagram it's so fun to, and easy to make fun of instagram but there's all these photos out there of people and they're like in these beautiful mountains you know just catching the glimpse of the sunrise they're sipping out of their coffee mug and there's all these grand vistas and like the morning fog and it all looks like wow that that's like perfect it's so ideal i wish i was there right now instead of typing on the computer at work but if you were actually there and if you asked them you would see that the moment they took that photo they were freezing to death they couldn't feel their toes uh, and their legs felt like jello because they just hiked 12 miles up to the top of this cold freezing mountain to get this perfect picture and they had to leave at 3 a.m so they could catch the sunrise right and so all that serenity is staged and and that's my point there is a severity to simplicity it's not all easy just because you downsize and if you're constantly searching out the simple life you're constantly malcontent saying well i want the perfect place to live if i was here if i was there then i'd be happy are you looking for what's the next life hack or or if i was just this productive or i just had that or if i just didn't have this or if i had this person in my life or if this person was out of my life then everything would click and i'd finally have what i need and i'd finally be content listen to me and listen to me clearly it's not out there the solution to all of your your problems and your malcontentness it is not out there it is in here and i'm pointing at my heart i'm pointing at your heart you're not immediately going to become happier if you have less stuff or more stuff downsizing isn't going to fix you because minimalism isn't your savior you cannot spend your whole life searching out some earthly eldorado you have to learn to be content wherever you are in plenty and in want as the apostle paul said you can be content in all situations why because you have the lord jesus christ the one who will you will never be without if you have the lord in your life that's what said back in hebrews right if you have christ he's not going to leave you he's not going to forsake you no matter where you're living what you're doing how you're doing he's there and that is the ultimate source of contentment to know him 
and take it from this accidental minimalist. Give thanks for whatever God has placed you right now. Living simpler is great. I commend it to you, but it's not a cure-all. The sin comes with the sinner. It's a package deal. And there's really no perfect life this side of heaven. If you're trying to carve out some perfect thing, I mentioned this in the, the episode about retiring early. If you're trying to make heaven on earth for yourself, you are on a fool's errand. Now, the, the job right now is, is, to, is to serve the Lord, is to serve his church, to love your neighbor, um, and, to, and, to, and to be faithful in where the Lord's put you. Not to try to make a perfect life for yourself here and now. The reward comes later. So lower your definition of need, curb your covetousness, and <laughs> embrace the grit because it's going to be there whether you've got lots of stuff or little stuff. It, it, there is a severity to the simplicity and there are complexities to the simple life. Most of all, just keep your eyes firmly fixed on Christ, the founder and the finisher of your faith. Let him be your satisfaction and your reward. Well, that's it for this episode of Redeeming Productivity. Please don't forget, if you liked it, give us a review on whatever podcasting platform you looked on. Helps other people find it. Helps validate my existence as a podcaster. And also, if you have feedback, you can reach out to Redeeming Productivity on all the social media channels. It's just Redeeming Prod, at Redeeming Prod on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, or even on Pinterest. Uh, so hit us up there, or if you have questions or suggestions or just want to get in touch, uh, send us an email at mailbag at redeemingproductivity.com. Also, don't forget to check out this week's blog post on how to stay productive even when you're sick. Thanks for listening. Remember, in whatever you do, do it well and do it all for the glory of God. And I will catch you next week on Redeeming Productivity. Redeeming Productivity.